Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up and turn to Psalm 1. We have two speakers tonight for Job. So, that said, while we are turning to Psalm 1, I want to remind everybody that there are other Bible study resources, sermons, liturgies, and more at verylutheran.biz. And for anybody that would like to support the Very Lutheran Project, we have two ways of doing that. If you look at the support tab at verylutheran.biz, we have a P.O. box, and there is a Gumroad for online donations. It is incredibly appreciated whenever anybody donates. Those who do uh, end up getting monthly or bi-monthly updates from yours truly about the news and the new things that we are doing. And we praise God for the generosity of the people that are supporting us. It is how I provide for my family as well as helping out in the expansion of the Catacomb Synod, our house church network. But that said, let us begin with Psalm 1 the perfect expression, in my opinion, of God's holy law. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now we interpret scripture with scripture, and when we turn here to Job chapter 18, we hear from Job's friend Bildad the Shuhite. Bildad, as well as his friends Eliphaz and Zophar, they speak with the voice and the authority of the law. They speak with high theology in mind. These are educated men who know at that time what their Bible would say. Of course, this is probably the first book of the Bible to be written, and I believe by the hand of Job himself. But having heard what Job's friends speak, they speak with such clarity that later scriptural authors do quote them or they do meditate on what these men say and respond to them. So let us hear the word of our Lord from Job chapter 18. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? Consider, and then we will speak. Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in your anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp above him is put out. His strong steps are shortened, and his own schemes throw him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks on its mesh. 
A trap seizes him by the heel. A snare lays hold of him. A rope is hidden for him in the ground. A trap for him in the path. Terrors frighten him on every side and chase him at his heels. His strength is famished and calamity is ready for his stumbling. It consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consumes his limbs. He is torn from the tent in which he trusted and is brought to the king of terrors. In his tent dwells that which is none of his. Sulfur is scattered over his habitation. His roots dry up beneath and his branches wither above. His memory perishes from the earth and he has no name in the street. He is thrust from light into darkness and driven out of the world. He has no posterity or progeny among his people and no survivor where he used to live. They of the west are appalled at his day, and horror seizes them of the east. Surely such are the dwellings of the unrighteous, such is the place of him who knows not God. Bildad replies to Job. Job is maintaining his grip with one hand on his integrity. He knows where he stands before God. He knows that he is not guilty of some sin meriting this earthly punishment. And he has some hard questions he's been asking God. But on the other hand, the other hand that grips as he is holding tight to the hem of God's robe and saying, I'm not letting go until you give me some sort of hope. Bildad is bewildered. He says, how long will you hunt for words? Job had been speaking for about three chapters worth, letting it all out. Consider, and then we will speak. Why don't you listen to me for a second, Job? You've got a lot of things to say, but do you think we're stupid? Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Listen, Job, there is a way things work. Why do you think that you are the exception? Now, the law would agree. The law, as we read it in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, in Exodus, in Numbers, in every single accusatory statement in the Old Testament and in the New, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody knows sinners deserve punishment. Sinners deserve death. All of us die because we are sinners. So Bildad makes a reasonable reply. Listen, why do you think you are the exception? You're telling us not to believe our lying eyes. We know how all of this works. It's been this way since the fall in Eden. Everybody knows this. Why do you think you're so special? Do you think we're stupid? Do you think we are idiots that we can't see what's happened to you, that we can't see how suffering works in this world? And so... He goes into a diatribe describing this. The light of the wicked is put out. Beloved, is the light of the wicked put out? Yes, it is. Whether in this life or in the next. The flame of his fire does not shine. Does God snuff out wickedness? Absolutely. The light is dark in his tent and his lamp above him is put out. He dies. Yes, 
The punishment for sin is death. His strong steps are shortened, and his own schemes throw him down. Whether or not a human being in the midst of sin, if he gets away with it here on this earth, he's not going to get away with it in the eyes of God. This is true. This is most certainly true. Bildad is not lying. He casts into a net by his own feet, and he walks into its mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel. A snare lays hold of him. The writer of Hebrews will call bitterness a snare. St. Paul will say that sin entangles and ensnares us. I imagine because they read the book of Job and said, you know, Bildad has a point. A rope is hidden for him on the ground. A trap for him in the path. Solomon. King Solomon will write concerning how the wicked man and the fool, well, traps are laid out for them. Those who plot evil in their hearts find themselves caught by it. Too many theologians and too many pastors read Job's friends speaking, and their automatic assumption is that Job's friends are wrong in every single word that they say. This is obviously incorrect. His strength is famished and calamity is ready for his stumbling. Terror comes upon them suddenly. The Bible is replete with examples of this even happening. It consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consumes his limbs. What does King Solomon say for those who ignore wisdom? They, he says, how it consumed my flesh. Oh, how going after the strange woman consumed me, and now here I am, an abomination, wasting his life away, working for the benefit of another. It consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consumes his limbs. This verse I read again because when he mentions skin, he's connecting the punishments of wickedness and the consequences that wicked men face in this life with Job's own skin, which is currently feeling great pain being covered in horrible sores. He is torn from the tent in which he trusted, and is brought to the king of terrors. Job has complained earlier that he's been suffering from nightmares. He is torn from his tent what do we mean by this? Most of his house, most of his buildings, everything that the man had, well, if he trusted in it, it's gone now. His roots dry up beneath and his branches wither above. Job probably has no hair right now. His memory perishes from the earth. He has no name in the street. Uh, he is thrust from light into darkness and driven out of the world. These men die, Job, and look at you. You've even been asking for death. Isn't this kind of what you wanted? Well, it's what's happening to you. And the way this works, Job, we're not stupid. It means somebody sinned. He has no posterity or progeny among his people. Job's children are all dead. No survivor where he used to live. Job's children are all dead. They of the West are appalled at his day, and horror seizes them of the East. A point that I'm going to be bringing up later. Job has been in this condition for a while. His friends came and stayed with him for seven days before this conversation happened. There was travel time. 
they understand and they know that the news traveled. People in the West and people in the East have heard about what happened to Joe, how he lost absolutely everything, and some are appalled and others are afraid. So Bildad says, Surely are, such are the dwellings of the unrighteous. There is no place of him who knows not God. If we refer back to Psalm 1, a fantastic summary of what the law says with its amazing thesis statement. With the law, you do good to get good, and if you do bad, heaven help you, you are going to get plenty of bad. In verse 5 it says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What Bildad has said makes perfect sense when we look at Job's situation from the lens of the law, which says very clearly all over the place that nobody gets away with sin. Job responds to Bildad, and he responds in a more vulnerable way, a way that still demonstrates his steadfastness, before we read Job's response, to highlight again what uh, St. James says about Job. He says from James chapter 5 in verse 10, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job is steadfast, and God vindicates him in the 42nd chapter when he dresses down Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, saying, You haven't been speaking of me. What is right? But then, when we read in Job chapter 19, Job's response, what we're about to hear does not sound at first like steadfastness. He sounds almost like like he's cracking. Let us hear it. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out, violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped me from my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone, and my hope has he pulled up like a tree. You can almost imagine Job fighting back tears further. He doesn't want to cry, by the way. He's mentioned that whenever he cries, it hurts. He's had scabs on his eyelids. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamped around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. 
I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My, faint, my heart faints within me. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. At first, Job complains that his friend is not being compassionate. How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? How long are you going to do this? Don't you think I've heard this from you guys this entire time? Ten times. Obviously, it hasn't been ten times, but ten is a number of completion. So it seems like he's saying over and over again, you're doing this. Are you not ashamed? Do you, do you think you're accomplishing something here? To be fair... Job's friends believe that if they can convince Job that he sinned and convince him to repent of that sin, maybe God will be merciful to him. It's the least they can do in their eyes to fix Job's situation. If we get him to say sorry, if we get him to do some sort of sin offering, maybe he will be restored. That's not how Job sees it. He sees them as kicking him while he is down. And it doesn't make sense to him. Verse 4. Even if it be true that I have erred. My error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me. And make my disgrace an argument against me. Know then that God has put me in the wrong. And closed his net about me. Look. If I really did sin. If this really is the case. And I'm wrong and God is right. He's taking care of it guys. I'm suffering. Shouldn't you be happy then? Look at me. If it's correct to say that I'm a sinner, God has already punished me. There's no need for you to kick me while I am down. And he describes it. I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help. There is no justice. Over this time, since he has been afflicted, Job has not seen any restoration. And isn't that something we all go through when we are frustrated at our own situation? When we look at our own suffering and we say, where is God in the midst of this? Doesn't it feel like he's late? Doesn't it feel like God is taking forever? We feel more pressure for this problem to be solved than God does. At least the way Job feels. He's steadfast. Oh, absolutely, is he steadfast. But it's hard to maintain patience when you can't sleep. 
It's hard to maintain that stoic version of steadfastness where you pretend that you're indifferent to your suffering. So he's saying, where's my justice? I don't see it. So if you guys are right, I'm getting punished. Be satisfied. He has kindled his wrath against me, verse 11, and counts me as his adversary. There you go. Let him take care of it. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and camp around my tent. But then he gets more personal, more vulnerable. So many people listening to Job. When they read this, they hone in on verse 25 and they forget everything that Job said before and after. I know that my Redeemer lives. They don't know where Job is speaking from. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me, my close friends have forgotten me. Job has a family. They come back in chapter 42. Something or someone stirred their conscience to do the right thing. But up until this point, as news of Job's calamity has reached their ears, they've said, oh, we don't want to be around that. Maybe whatever he's got, whatever disease he has is going to spread to us. We don't want to touch that. Or, you know what? It's, I got stuff to do. <laughs> My close friends have forgotten me. A roundabout way of saying at this time, it's hard for Job to consider Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar to be uh, friends to him, or close friends anyway. Because he has close friends and they're not here to support him. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. They left. Oh yeah, when the ones that survived, they're gone. Just poof, gone. They're not going to hear him. I call to my servant, he gives me no answer. If he does see him, I must plead with him, with my mouth, for mercy. If he ever sees any of these guys, he has to ask them for help. Begging them because of his humiliation. And he mentions his wife. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. My wife, uh, she's not speaking to me. She's mad at me. She wanted me to die already so she can move past this. My siblings, they're not talking to me. So here you are, Bildad, telling me I'm a bad person while everybody else just abandoned me. Couldn't you have just done what they did? Couldn't you have just let go and, and left me alone? Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. Job, at this point, looks less than human, at least to somebody who's never seen this kind of blister-ridden, bleeding, half-infected, almost-starved, barely-had-any-water type of person. They must be looking at him like he's a monster when they pass by. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I love to have turned against me. It doesn't matter what I did in the past. Look at what they've done. Nothing. And after going on and continuing on at this point, verse 21, Now he begs, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. If God has been cruel to me, could you at least be nice? Whether Job, by that, whether he means to shut the heck up, or whether he means for them to say something nice for once, we don't know. But he says, why do you like God pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Imagine him pointing to a wound. And then, after having described again his situation in a more vulnerable way, 
Not just lamenting that it seems God is pursuing him. Not just pointing his finger up at heaven and saying, I need an answer and I'm going to keep begging for that answer till I get some hope. He's talking about suffering in his heart, his loneliness, the abandonment he feels. Then he says, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. Nobody can answer me. Everybody has abandoned me. Except this Redeemer who will hear my case. Now the word Redeemer there, immediately all the people who only want to read this verse from Job and nothing else, they don't want to wrestle with the text like we are called to do. They don't want to see Job in terms of steadfastness. They want to pretend that Job was just a uh, fat, dumb, and happy hero of the faith who is always so confident that he just accepted, yes, God will redeem me. Everything will be okay. Whenever I see this verse on a coffee mug, I want to puke. Because that's not what Job is saying. He is not resting on his laurels and being complacent. He is saying, everybody has abandoned me except for this Redeemer. And at the last he will stand upon the earth. Who is this Redeemer? He tells us in verse 26, After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job has been seeking his day in court, basically. He wants to get an answer from God. He wants God to redeem Job from God. In a sense, this happens in Holy Scripture. We all look to the ultimate Redeemer, our Lord Christ, who redeems us from the wrath of God which we rightly merit. God redeems us from God. Job, yes, he believes that God is his Redeemer, but he believes that God will listen to him after he stubbornly clings to God, saying, I'm not letting go until you bless me. That's a familiar turn of phrase. That's what Jacob says to the angel of the Lord, most likely a Christophany. He keeps holding on to this angel, even after the angel has ripped his hip out of its socket, he's not letting go. Why? Because Jacob knows that if he holds on, just long enough, God will relent and bless him. I wonder where Jacob learned this. It must have been from Job. Job says, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. He's going to show up, guys. After my skin has been thus destroyed, if God kills me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to see God. I'm going to see for myself. My eyes are going to behold not another. My heart, yeah, it faints within me. I'm terrified right now, but I have no other option. I'm going to trust that God will redeem me from God in the midst of this. He's decided I am an enemy. When I have my day in court, 
and he shows up, this will be rectified. There must have been a mistake. There must have been something. And while his heart faints within him, he continues to address his friends. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Job tells his friends at the last, listen, you can say that this is what your eyes see. You think I'm calling you stupid. I know how this works. You know how this works. Well, let me tell you how it continues to work, because wrath brings punishment. And your wrath, dear friends, is going to bring punishment upon your own heads. You'd better step carefully. Especially because he believes in his heart, Job does at this time, that God will answer him. And in chapters 38 through 41, his belief will be vindicated. But next week we will see how Zophar adds more fuel to the flame here, as he responds more or less with the same exact thing that Bildad said. At this point, his friends are incredibly frustrated because they don't see what Job sees. And chances are they lack the steadfastness that Job has. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.